is that all of us would learn how to think more biblically and more deeply about the world that we live in. Because you notice, one of the great lies and propaganda is that everything is simplistic. Like, everything that's going on in the news right now, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's American politics, social concerns, all of these issues are not really tweetable at their core. It's human nature to try to make sense of the world. We want to understand what's going on and why. But there's no way we can do this. There's just too much that we don't see and know. So to solve this, we try to reduce the complexity to simplify the issues. But that doesn't work either. In today's message, Pastor Daniel shares that understanding and truth are found when you think more biblically and deeply about the world around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Peter chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Truth About Lies. What's unfortunate is we learn here that, of course, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. This reminds me of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So what you end up with here is you end up now with this warning that it's very easy to begin to follow these destructive heresies that will obscure the way of the truth. Now we also learn a little bit about their motivation because in verse 3 it tells us, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So we see a little bit of the motivation of at least the false teachers who Peter was talking about. Their goal was to take care of themselves. It was with a covetous spirit. And that creates all sorts of issues, of course, because obviously money is an outlet of spiritual power, right? We all know that. But when all of a sudden you have people coming in and it's all about money, now all of a sudden you actually can't talk about money in a way that everyone doesn't feel like, oh, this is covetousness. But God calls us all to generosity, but we have to discern the motives of leaders. That's a hard thing, isn't it? Discerning the motives of leaders. Why? Because I don't know about you, what I find in my own life, of course, is that I have a tendency to give myself always the benefit of the doubt on motives. And if I'm not careful, I give everyone the most strict justice in their motives. I assume the worst of other people. I assume the best of myself. Am I the only one who does that? But we have a tendency to do that. But I believe that the Lord wants us to be able to discern the fruit that's in front of us. Our job is not to judge someone's motives, but we, we should go into everything with our eyes open. Does that make sense? We should go into everything with our Bibles open and our heart and our eyes open to the Lord And we have to realize that liars are going to lie, and lies are everywhere, and it exists within the church. Now, I do think it's important for me to say at this point that I don't believe I'm teaching you guys lies on anything. 
But I do realize that my understanding of who the Lord is and of the word is in process. So you guys have heard me say a lot of times, hey, I don't know the answer to this. I may be wrong in this. I'm like, I wouldn't pin myself down, but if you made me, I'd say this, but I'm not really sure. And I do that because I want to make sure that we keep digging together. The God's word and his heart is infinite and we are not. So we're constantly plumbing the depths of the word, plumbing the depths of the heart of God, trying to figure out, Lord, what are you up to? And at the same time saying, Lord, will you purify my motives? And you're praying, Lord, will you purify your motives? And I do ask that you pray that God would purify my motives. And and then I'll be praying that God purifies yours. And we join one another in this process. But the truth about lies is that they're everywhere and they're in church as well. That's what we learn. Now, from there, notice what it says in verse 4. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. What we learn here is that we should learn from history. Peter just said that their destruction does not slumber, and then he gives some examples. He's like, look, I want you to learn from biblical history. And we get three examples of God bringing judgment on lies. First, we have these fallen angels, which you read about in verse 4. Then you have uh, Noah and the ancient world through the flood in verse 5. And then you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the discussion about Lot, verses 6 to 8. So Peter very quickly grabs hold of this and says, look, there's all these examples in your Bible of how God deals with judgment with people who are bringing falsehood. And he's saying, look, I want you to learn from that. Notice verse 6 in the very end. Making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. You see that? Making them an example. Now this reminds us that God has given us his word to admonish us, to challenge us. And so the key for each one of us is as we read the word is also to say, Lord, how are you in your love and your care for me? How are you challenging me to see my life, to see the lies that I might be believing or even promulgating? How do I deal with it given the light of who you are? And he's saying, look, I want you to learn from history that where there is error, where there is lying, where there is falsehood, God will bring judgment. Now, the first example is of these fallen angels, right? Now, you get this idea of these fallen angels and also the idea of Noah from Genesis chapter 6. And the story of Noah goes all the way to Genesis chapter 9. So if you can mark that in your Bibles, you can read it later. But Genesis chapter 6 begins with this strange story that many people argue about and discuss what it means about how the sons of God and the daughters of men, how there was a co-mingling of them, and all of a sudden there was these 
people who were born who were extra big and all. And so a lot of people believe, and again, this is one of those places where if you held me down and tickled me, I'd say yes. But if I'm not totally sure, for lots of reasons, but it speaks to these fallen angels that were came down and this thing went on with the women of the day and it was one of the precursors to God's judgment of the world through the flood. But if you don't say, well, I don't think that that those guys are angels, then you can look at Jude chapter six and you got your other example of it. Because it talks about how they saw Satan fall like lightning. That's what Jesus said. And there's in the book of Revelation, we see Satan and his demons and they're they're getting put towards judgment. So we realize that there's a spiritual realm. And he says, for if God, verse 4, did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So he's saying, look, for the angels who left their proper abode, that's how Jude speaks of it, and Jude's got one chapter, so just Jude, verse 6. For those, even angelic beings who have strayed into error, there is this judgment awaiting them. Then, of course, you get the example of Noah. He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world and the ungodly. So here we have Peter talking about the flood of Noah. Now, of course, Noah was saved one of eight people. Someone says, well, who was the other seven people? Noah's wife. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all three of them were married. Make sense? So Noah and his wife, Shem, his wife, Ham, his wife, Japheth, his wife. Did I do good math? Just want to be true, right? But the idea is, is that God brought judgment on the world. Now, again, we've talked about this a lot together because I realize that God being a God of justice and judgment is very challenging for people. But I've always said it this way, and I'll always say it this way, that if God is not a just God, then God is not a loving God. There is no love in injustice, See, we live in this day and age where people say, well, I would never believe in a God who would send someone to hell. I'm like, I would never believe in a God who wouldn't because that means that God does not care. Like, imagine the outcry if there was somebody, like, imagine if they arrested Osama bin Laden and he gets before a judge and the judge says, look, I'm a loving judge. Just go free, bro. I'm full of love. Have fun. Go live your life. Would anyone be upset about that? Yeah, I think so. Why would they be upset about it? Because there ain't no love in that. That is hypocrisy. It's injustice. It's imperfection. It's completely wrong. And so we realize that if God is truly going to be perfect, and if he's truly going to be loving, he has to be a God of judgment. Because a loving God calls a spade a spade. You can't have love without it. I realize that that's a nuance about what real love is, but we live in a day and age that lacks nuance. Why? Because we live in a day that would rather pithy phrases where nobody actually thinks about it. Brothers and sisters, one of our goals here is that all of us would learn how to think more biblically and more deeply about the world that we live in. Because you notice one of the great lies and propaganda is that everything is simplistic. Like, everything that's going on in the news right now, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's American politics, social concerns, all of these issues are not really tweetable at their core. There's complexity involved in these things. But we live in a culture now where everything's like, well, just throw a soundbite, get a a clickbait on an article so you read it. But really, it's not, like, we have to think deeper than that. But we don't know how to anymore. And so we have to be careful. 
See, God being a God of justice and judgment actually proves his love. Because don't miss the fact that God has redeemed those who he felt was undeserving of the judgment. Whether it's Noah and his family. Of course, when you time you move down to verse 6 to 8, we find about Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 19. But again, we have the deliverance of Lot and ultimately Lot's daughters and his wife, although his wife died on the journey out, if you remember Genesis 19. So we have all these examples from history. Now, of course, when you bring up Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, the question of homosexuality and how that all plays in comes to the surface. Now, I think it's important to realize that the issues within Sodom and Gomorrah were not only what had gone on when the angels came and the men of Sodom's desire to have sexual relations with those angels. But that was a cherry on top. That was the part that we had. See, what we end up finding here, of course, is that Lot was tormented in his soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And so we have to realize that when, as it relates to sexual ethics, especially in this generation, that we don't take one thing and say, this is the only thing. It's a thing, but it's not the only thing. It's one of a plethora of things. But again, because we live in the day and age we do with the lies that we hear, many of you think that's the only thing. And it's not the only thing. God is doing work in people's lives. And God is allowed to say, this is holy and this is not why, because he's the holy one. See, I know for me, one of the things that has freed my heart up a lot is I realize how flawed I am. So I don't ever think that I got it right. That's what I'm learning. That like, the way I feel about things, the way I I, I interpret things, yeah, I probably got it wrong. So I say, well, okay, I know that I'm flawed because I've changed my mind in a million ways. And you realize that your mind exists to be changed. You know that, right? It's proof you have a mind. Think about that for a second. It's proof that you're using your mind if you change. If you're the person who's been exactly the same forever, then you've got big problems. Because you're all in process. We're all growing. And given new information, now all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a second. What I often learn as a Christian is that If I believe the Bible, I know that I have the truth, but do I hold the truth in the right way? I think for a lot of us, that's a big thing. You know the truth, but you're not holding the truth with the heart of God. You have the right verse, but you have the wrong heart because you're taking the verse and you're applying it to your heart that is believing a lie, but now you have a verse to justify, right? So for me, I'm always like, well, what does the word say? Now, I grew up as a Gen Xer in this generation. If you would have grabbed me, a month before I got saved, I would have said, yeah, man, people can sleep with who they want to sleep with. Who am I to say? I was raised that way. I was like, what's the problem? But then when you start to read the Bible and you understand who God is, who he created us to be, you can't get off that easy. Because you realize that everything in this world is deeper than what it seems. Everything's got more involved. See, our culture tells us that your sexuality is for you to enjoy whatever the moment tells you feels right. And the Bible tells you that your sexuality is the physical embodiment of a unity that happens to Jesus and his church that a man and a woman get to enter into in a covenant of faithfulness. 
Your sexuality is something so much bigger. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't all sorts of issues that we're all dealing with within our sexuality and the way we see these things, but our culture has lied to us and without the input of other information, it's going to believe that lie because it's being perpetuated everywhere. But I want to talk to us as the church for a second. So if you're here today and you're not part of the church, not church to cross, I mean, you're not a follower of Jesus. I'm just going to talk to the church for a second. But when you hold your beliefs about sexual ethics with a heart of anger, you're part of the problem. You know why? Because wrath never produces the righteousness of God in anybody. Judgment never draws someone closer. It always pushes them away. When you despise somebody for their decisions, you make them farther from Jesus, not closer. You can believe that it's wrong and still be a good, kind, decent human being to them. And we need to hear that stuff because it's so easy within the church to be like, oh, it's just wrong. I can't believe that. Come on, you can totally believe it. We all have issues. God's doing the work in all of us. But we also need to learn from history. Because what this is reminding us is that falsehood will not remain forever. And the question for us is, is like Lot, I mean, it's kind of a strange thing for Peter to say about Lot, that he was righteous. He was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, verse 8. For that righteous man tormented his soul day to day. In the book of Genesis, it doesn't really seem like Lot's the most righteous dude, does it? And oftentimes as pastors, we talk about Lot as somebody who's on the edge of compromise. But it is interesting that Peter's testimony of him was that what God was doing in his heart. And the question for us is, is do we find ourselves tormented in our hearts by the godlessness of the day and age we live? Now, I don't mean we should be tormented in a way that is pulling us away from the Lord, but we should not be so calloused of heart that we don't see what's going on and we're not driven to our knees in prayer. That we're not driven to intercession for our community and our world. Because I think what goes on is because lies are so prevalent and we have a tendency to believe a lot of them, we have to protect ourselves and so we don't allow ourselves to be impacted. When really God wants our hearts to be provoked by the Spirit to respond to the godlessness of the day and age in which we live in a way that drives us closer to Jesus and says, Lord, let me be a worker in your harvest field. Because I think what's gone on is as this has all gone on, the church has pulled back. I think that's one of the things I get so excited about, about what God is doing here in our family of faith because we're not recoiling at all, right? I always think of that commercial of the Marines, you know, when a catastrophe happens... Everyone runs out, but there's a group of people who run in, you know, and if I wasn't called to be a pastor, I'd be like, man, I'm going to go be a Marine, you know, say, I want to be the guy who, when disaster, I run in, I want to be a help. And I think spiritually, our goal is to build this family to be a special forces that we look at our community and we run into it in Jesus name, not to become like it, but because God is touching us to be a transformational agent. And the most transformational reality is the reality of the self-sacrificial love of God in all of the nuances of what that means. But we have to learn from history, biblical history. We look at our own country. There's so much to learn by how God deals with stuff. Now, notice how this little section about 
lies kind of moves for us. Because look what it says in verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now, I like this because we've seen that liars are going to lie and that lies are everywhere and it's in the church and we have to learn from history, but we've seen that in some cases God delivers in the case of Noah and Lot and their families and in other cases God brings judgment. And what I want to remind you is in all of this, the Lord will sort it out. That's what we learn in the scriptures, that God can be trusted to sort this thing out, that God will bring some and deliver some, those who are his, and that those who are not will be judged. Now, I don't believe that because I like it. I believe that because my Bible teaches it. And the Lord, what he wants to do is there is enough power in the finished work of Jesus to redeem everybody. But you have to want that. You have to respond to that. And we have to remember that God's judgment and his deliverance are two heads of the same coin. God is not intent to judge everybody. And God would like to deliver everyone, but he doesn't make you come. He does not make you respond. He invites you to respond. And Psalm 34, verses 15 and 19 says it this way. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So you see that what we have is we have these two categories. Those who have been made righteous by God and those who are falling into judgment. Now listen, there are some of you right now who you hear this, you're like, this is why I don't like Christianity. This is why I can't ever be a Christian. Because who wants to believe in a God of judgment? I'm telling you, you do because that is who God is. He has to be a God of justice if he is going to be a perfect God. But don't think for one second that God relishes in that judgment. But God has already sent the issue. I always use this example because I really think it's powerful. Imagine if you just don't feel good, right? And you go to the doctor. You're like, doctor, I just don't feel good. I'm running a temperature. All these things are wrong with my body. And the doctor does some tests. He's like, listen, this is what you have. And it's very common. But if you don't treat this, it's fatal. Okay, how do you want to treat it? You just need to take this pill. If you take this pill, you're going to be just fine. Now imagine if you're like, okay, I don't believe that pill's going to work. I don't like those pills. I'm not a fan of Western medicine or whatever your thing is, right? And you don't take the pill and you die. Is it the doctor's fault? No. Jesus is Pastor Daniel wrapped up today's teaching with the reminder that Jesus is inviting you to take him up on his offer of rescue. He longs to bridge the gap between you and God and welcome you into his family. But he's not going to force you. He gives you the option of choosing him or judgment. So say yes to Jesus and enter into the grace, peace, and freedom that can only be found in him. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel talks about advice. You've given it and you've taken it. And it makes sense that the more important the issue is, the more imperative it is that the advice you get is sound. And what could be more important than where you'll spend your eternity? Pastor Daniel will explain that there are people out there who aren't telling you the truth about what happens after you die. That's why you need to be careful about who you're listening to. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Truth and Lies. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.